You may be seated. <clears throat> well, it is so good to be here with you this morning. My name is Gavin Breeden. I'm the RUF campus minister at Tennessee Tech University. And um, <clears throat> this is one of my favorite churches to come and preach at. I love the sanctuary. I love uh, you guys. Uh, Zion and the missions committee at Zion is one of the most, one of the kindest and most generous um, set of folks that, that really care for us as, as one of your missionaries. We feel so well-loved and cared for and prayed for, so I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, we are finishing up year six at Tennessee Tech and getting ready for year seven, so that's exciting. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've been having some allergy issues, and so I have a cough drop in. My throat's a little scratchy this morning, so I ask you just to bear with me if I clear my throat and uh, just try to um, ignore that, <laughs> if you will. Um, this morning, we are going to be looking at one of Jesus' parables. We're looking at the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. A parable which really asks us how we are to love other people, how we are to love one another. <coughs> Excuse me, there I go. In order for this parable to have its intended effect, I'm going to ask you this morning, as I read it, as we read it, uh, to think about someone, a type of person that you really don't like. It may be someone who thinks very differently than you do about big issues. It may be someone who votes differently than you do. Maybe someone who's from a different uh, part of the, of the country or the world than you. Um, so, or someone whose personality just clashes with you, just someone you just instinctively do not like. And as we're reading this, when, we, when you hear the, the word Samaritan, I want you to put that type of person in place of the Good Samaritan. I want you to think that's who, that's who when Jesus is sharing this uh, parable with a, a, a Jewish audience, when they hear the word Samaritan, that's what they're thinking. Someone that they are inst instinctively opposed to. Uh, someone they don't like. Someone they are not a fan of. Uh, and so think, think with me about that this morning as we read this passage. So I'll go ahead and read. This is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. This is the word of God. <clears throat> and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, to them, he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, <coughs> desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. <clears throat> the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go to him and ask him for his help this morning. <clears throat> Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. We thank you for your word. 
Lord, uh, we pray this morning that you would speak to us again from it. Pray that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, that most of all you would show us Jesus and point us to him. Lord, I do pray that you would sustain my voice this morning. I pray that you would uh, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Something that always happens near the end of the semester, uh, I'm sure at every campus, but at my campus, is during the last few weeks, every student suddenly becomes a mathematician, right? And they're calculating exactly what they need on their final to, in order to get the GPA, to get the grade that they want for the class. And some, for some of them, it's, it's a, uh, you know, a, a way to assuage their anxieties and fears. Like, okay, as long as I get a 72 on the final, then that will give me this grade in the class. That'll, that'll keep my GPA at a 3.6. I'll be good to go, you know. But for some of them, it's just a matter of determining what's the least amount of work that I can do and still get the grade that I want. And that's the, that's the amount of effort and work that I'm going to put in. And we do this in, in various areas of life, don't we, right? What's the minimum work that I can put in and still get the results that I want? And that's basically what this lawyer is doing uh, in this encounter with Jesus in Luke 10. First, he comes to Jesus and he asks, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I get to heaven? How can I be good in good with God? And Jesus, answer, as he often does, answers his question with a question. What does the Old Testament law say and how do you understand it? And the lawyer has studied. He's ready for this exam. He's ready for this pop quiz. And he quotes the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, well, yeah, you're right. Those are the two greatest commandments. That's right. Now, Jesus is not saying that somehow salvation is something that we must earn or that we must work towards, that we obey laws in order to to be a Christian. We know from all over the Bible that Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. It's not something we can earn or work for. It's a gift, a gift of God's free grace. But what Jesus is saying here is that a person who receives God's grace, a person who has an encounter with the grace of God, with the Lord Jesus, uh, and trust in the Lord Jesus, that person is going to have a changed heart, a heart that is going to be uh, one that, that... a heart that becomes one that loves God and loves other people. So that is what, that's going to be the fruit. That's going to be the evidence of a person uh, who is inheriting eternal life, a person whose heart has been changed by the grace of God, by trusting in Jesus, a heart that is going to be genuinely loving God and loving others. But that's not uh, how this lawyer is understanding those two commandments, right? He's thinking... Okay, this is something I have to do. This is a test. This is a a grade that I have to work towards and earn. And we know that from verse 29 because Luke tells us that he was desiring to justify himself. He was desiring to prove himself. He was desiring to, uh, to make the grade, to try to earn his way. He's trying to prove that he's good enough, that he's moral enough to earn eternal life and to earn God's favor. And so he's doing these mental calculations like it's the end of the semester. Okay, depending on how God grades the, these, these two commandments, you know, that depends on how, what, I, what, what, what do I need to do. Depending on how God grades this neighbor thing, you know, maybe I've already got what I need. Maybe I'm good enough. Maybe I've done enough to make the cut. <clears throat> and as you read through the Gospels, you see this sort of thing all the time, right? You see 
people come to Jesus and they ask, okay, what do I need to do? Tell me what to do, Jesus. And that's often how we approach Jesus too. Okay, what do I need to do to be in good with you? Give me a checklist. Give me the Cliff Notes versions. What is required? Boil it down for me. What's required for me to be saved? For me to inherit eternal life, for me to be good? What's the minimum that I need to do to get God's love, to be accepted, to be in good with you, Jesus, to be a good Christian? And perhaps deep down in our hearts, we're asking those same questions. Okay, so what do I need to do? And Jesus usually responds to those encounters he has with people by getting that person and getting us to reflect rather than on what we're doing, on what kind of person are you becoming? Instead of giving us a list of things to do, instead of just saying, okay, follow these five simple steps and you'll be in, instead of saying just be a good person and try your best, Jesus wants us to think about what's going on inside of us, what's going on in our hearts. What kind of person are you? What kind of fruit is your life bearing? What, what is your character like? What is going on in your heart? What is your heart's posture towards God and towards your neighbor? <clears throat> and what this lawyer is asking Jesus for is a defined boundary of who exactly constitutes his neighbor. Exactly who am I required to love? And what Jesus gives this lawyer and us instead, instead of giving, defi- def- drawing a boundary for him, he gives us a, a story which sort of blows up any concept of a boundary. And it calls us to something truly radical. So two things I want us to see in this passage this morning. We're going to see love limited, and we're going to see love lived out. So let's, look at, let's think about love limited for a few minutes here. <clears throat> so in response to the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells the story of a man who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. This would have been a journey of about 17 miles. It would have been a very, there's an, uh, an elevation difference of about 3,200 feet. And so this would have been a, a long trek downhill from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as this man is on the road, as he's on his journey, uh, robbers find him, which was not uncommon, right? Robbers could hide and, and wait on certain stretches of road. And they strip him, they rob him, they beat him. They leave him half dead in a ditch on the side of the road. And this man is lying there slowly dying when along comes a priest. And the priest sees the body of the man and he actively avoids him, right? He passes by on the other side of the road. And then along comes a Levite. <clears throat> a Levite is someone else who would, who would have worked in the, the, uh, some responsibilities working in the temple in Jerusalem. And he does the same thing. He passes by on the other side of the road. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us why they avoided this man, like why they didn't stop and help him. Maybe they're in a hurry to get home. Maybe they were on an important errand. Maybe they didn't want to risk, you know, if this guy's, if this person is dead, if this, if this is a dead body, if they touch that dead body, they'd be ceremonially unclean and they work in the temple. That could be, you know, that could be problematic for them. Maybe they don't want to, don't want to risk becoming unclean. Maybe they just don't want to get involved. This looks like a bad situation. Maybe this is a trap. You know, maybe the robbers are still around, and if I go and help this guy, then they're going to get me as well. But we don't know the answer. Jesus doesn't tell us this is a story, right? Jesus doesn't tell us why they don't stop. And in truth, it doesn't matter. 
But here's the point that Jesus is making. He's saying that being outwardly religious doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to love other people. In other words, you can do and say all the right things religiously, and yet in your heart, there could actually be no love for other people, which means there's really no love for God in your heart as well. Jesus is inviting this lawyer to take an honest look at his heart. He's inviting us to do the same, to see if we are like this priest and this Levite. I mean, the very nature of the the lawyer's question already indicates that he is. As he's trying to sort of define a boundary of who am I absolutely required to love and who's it okay for me to ignore? Again, this lawyer wants to know what he needs to do to get eternal life. And Jesus is saying, look, it's not the stuff that you do, it's what's in your heart. Do you have a heart of stone or a heart of flesh? Has your, has your heart been radically changed by God's grace? Is there a love for God and for others that is flowing out of your heart to those around you? But what the lawyer is wanting is a boundary drawn so he knows exactly who he's required to love. <clears throat> That's the equivalent of asking, is this information going to be on the test? Do I really need to know this? Who am I expected to love and who's it okay for me to ignore? And we do this too, don't we? We find reasons to give ourselves permission to not love certain people, right? We might say, well, this person is, you know, maybe they're a different religion from me or maybe they're a different denomination or maybe they're in the same denomination but they have very different ideas and and perspectives on issues. Maybe they hold different political views. Maybe they look different. Maybe they act differently. Maybe they dress differently. Maybe they educate their children differently. Maybe they just don't do things the way that I do them. And we may, th- we may think and even say some harsh things about these people. And we sort of think that we're justified in doing so because we've, we've sort of drawn a boundary. We've drawn a line of who we are required to love and we've placed them outside the boundary. And this is even worse when we ignore someone who is in need, <clears throat> someone who needs a friend, a lonely person who maybe needs someone to listen to them to visit them, to care for them, someone who may need a ride to the grocery store, someone who really would benefit from an invitation to a home for a home-cooked meal, someone who needs to be checked on because you haven't seen them at church in a while. But we tell ourselves that we have good reasons, right, not to do it. We're really busy, after all. I'm sure the priest and the Levite had very good reasons for why they couldn't stop and help this wounded man in the ditch. We can always come up with good reasons not to help people who are in need. You know, maybe we're swamped at work, or we have other plans. Family life is crazy, family schedule is crazy, especially if you have young kids, and you know, you got piano, you got soccer practice, you've got a million things going on. And the truth is that it would just disrupt our plans and our comfort too much. <clears throat> and I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm uh, beating you up this morning. I want, to, I want to give you a story of, an embarrassing story of this in my own life, okay? As I, this is a true story. As I was writing this sermon, uh, I, was, I was working on it, thinking about it. One of my children was outside playing, and they cut their foot. And they came running into the house. And they said, Dad, Dad, I cut my foot. I need help. My foot's bleeding. Please help me. And I didn't, 
I didn't say, I stopped myself before I said these words, but I felt the words forming on my lips and they were starting to come. I started to say, I can't help you right now. I'm writing a sermon. This is really important, right? This is for the Lord, okay? This is really important. And as the words are just about to start, I, I realize that's exactly what my sermon is about. <laughs> that's exactly what this passage is about. That I think I have something that's so important. This this spiritual uh, work that I need to do that I don't have time to stop and help someone who's in need. And so I stopped and helped my child, okay? So I was learning even as I was writing the sermon, okay? The Lord was gracious to teach me. But what we see in the priest and the Levite, what we see in the lawyer, what we sometimes even see in ourselves is that limited love is really no love at all. That just by asking this question, Okay, who exactly am I required to love? Who exactly is my neighbor? We've already missed the point. Love never takes the posture of what's the minimum work that I can do to get a passing grade. That's not love at all. That's self-interest. That's self-centeredness. A better question for us to ask is this. What does it look like for me to really and truly love the people in my life? And Jesus is the one who shows us the way, right? The way of Jesus is sacrificial love. And he is the one who shows us what that looks like. He's the one who invites us to follow him in that. He's the one who gives us the ability to do that through our union with him. Let's think a little bit about love lived out this morning. We see love lived out in in the actions of the Samaritan, don't we? Jesus is doing a little storytelling jujitsu here, right? He's talking to a Jewish audience, and he's made the hero of the story a Samaritan, which is someone, as I said earlier, uh, is someone they would have automatically been opposed to. Uh, Samaritans were from a region called Samaria, and they were the offspring of Jewish people who had intermarried with non-Jewish people. And so even though the Samaritans believed in Yahweh and and they followed the Torah, the Jewish people looked down on them tremendously, and the Jews and the Samaritans were, were, were basically enemies. So much so that if a Jewish person was going on a journey that would require them to go through Samaria, they would actually walk, extend their journey greatly to walk around the region to avoid entering Samaria. And yet Jesus is using the Samaritan in this story to break down any attempt to draw a boundary around the people that we don't want to love. He's saying, even your enemies... Even a Samaritan is your neighbor. They are made in God's image. They are deserving recipients of your love. And so that's the same for us. Whoever whoever it was, whatever type of person that you were thinking about earlier as we read the passage, that person is your neighbor, right? It may be someone who feels like an enemy to you and to me, but that person is your neighbor. That's what the point of the story is. So what do we learn about love for neighbors in this story? Well, the first thing we see is the Samaritan's compassion. And we see this in verse 33, right? We're told that as he was traveling along the road, he sees the wounded man and he feels compassion for him. He cares for him. He cares about his needs. He cares about his problem. He, he feels a desire and a responsibility, an obligation to help. But love is more than just a vague sense of positive feelings towards someone. Love must be expressed in action. And we see the Samaritan acting out his love as he cares for this man's needs. You know, sometimes in in Christian circles, it's really easy for us to almost elevate 
spiritual needs to such a degree that we sort of ignore physical needs altogether. But imagine how ridiculous it would be for the Samaritan to stop and say, hey man, I can see you're hurting pretty bad here, but I've got some good Bible verses I want to read to you that will, that will comfort you in this, in this tough time. Or here, let me give you this book about how God is near to us in our suffering, and, and then, you know, I'm going to be on my way. I've got plans. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to share Bible verses or it's wrong to share a book with someone. I'm not saying that. But you can see how that, that would be ignoring the obvious need that this man has. And James, actually, in the Bible, the, in the book of James, this very thing is addressed. James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 says this, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? When we see a physical need, compassion requires a physical response. And so what are the needs in your home or in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, in your church? What are the opportunities that God has put in your path for you to offer uh, care to others in tangible ways? So the Samaritan stops and he offers help, the help that this man needs. He tends his wounds. He does his best to help the man's most pressing and immediate needs. It prevents him from dying in this ditch. He also doesn't leave the man in the ditch. He puts him on his own animal. He takes him, carries him to the nearest inn. And at this point, whatever plans the Samaritan had <clears throat> are delayed. He's given his time, he's given his energy to help out this poor man. The second thing we see that is here is that, is that loving your neighbor means going, up beyond and, going above and beyond what is required. Instead of asking, what's the bare minimum that my neighbor needs, we need to ask, how would I want someone to love me if I were the one that was in the ditch? That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, to care for the needs of the others in the exact way that you would hope and pray someone would care for your needs. The Samaritan pays the innkeeper some money, and he takes care, and he says, listen, take care of him, and when I come back, if there's any other cost that's been incurred, I will pay you back. He has freely given his time, his energy, and his money to save this man's life. The final thing we see here is that loving your neighbor means meeting their needs without expecting anything in return. You know, there's never talk about the wounded man, if he's going to pay back uh, this money. In fact, the wounded man is completely, from all we can tell, is completely unconscious (laughs) uh, and passive in this entire story. We have no idea if he's ever even aware of what's happening around him. Sometimes, uh, you know, if you're like me, you, you can be a pretty shrewd account keeper of what you have done for other people. You know, well, I did this for, I did this for you, but you haven't done that for me. I invited, I invited you to my get-together, but you had a little barbecue and didn't invite me to yours. But really loving and truly loving our neighbor means keeping... Uh, means not keeping records of who did what for whom. Real love means giving away freely your time, your energy, your money to be a blessing to others without expecting anything in return. So what would it look like for us to love, to show the sacrificial love of Jesus to other people in our lives? I mean, think about it in your home. What would it look like in our homes? So kids, children, wherever you are, I I want to talk to you for a second. 
What would it look like, kids, for you to love your brother or sister as you, as you love yourself? It would probably look like sharing with them, wouldn't it? It would probably look like listening. Uh, it'd probably look like being gentle and kind with, with your brother and sister, wouldn't it? What about loving your parents as you love yourself? That would look like listening to them, uh, maybe less complaining to them or about them. Parents, what would it look like for us to love our children as we love ourselves? I, I imagine it would require more patience. I imagine it would require uh, kinder words and calmer tones of voice. Husbands and wives, what would it look like for you to love your spouse as you love yourself? It would look like, I imagine, outdoing one another in love and showing love and, and rather than keeping a record of what you've done for, what, for each other. What about your friends? What would it look like for you to love your friends as you love yourself? You wouldn't use them for what they can give to you and then drop them or ignore them when you don't need them. It would mean trying to give them the benefit of, of the doubt when it seems like they've let you down. It would mean realizing that you know, your friend sometimes may need you uh, when you have other plans. What would it look like as a church for us to love one another as we love ourselves? It would mean reaching out to the lonely and the depressed in our midst, checking on one another, inviting people over uh, from, from church into your home, inviting people over for a meal, taking time to really reach out to people, including the people who are very different from you, maybe especially the people who are very different from you, even the people that um, are difficult maybe for you to get along with, or the people who you might consider your enemies. It would mean seeking peace and rec reconciliation with the people with whom you're at odds. There's a story uh, that I've heard <clears throat> several times. I'm not sure if this is a true story. To be honest with you, if just real talk between us, it sounds like a preacher story, okay? It sounds like one of those stories that's probably not true, but uh, it makes, it's, it's good in a sermon, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell it to you. There's a story about a, 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 a family. This little girl was very ill, and she needed a blood transfusion, and it was a rare type of blood, and the blood bank was out of that particular type of blood. So they asked her twin brother, and they're about eight years old, I think. They asked her twin brother, to give blood to, to help his sister. Would you donate some blood to help your sister? And the boy thought it over for a minute, and he agreed. And they started the blood transfusion process, taking blood from the, the little boy to give to his sister. And when they had finished, the boy, little boy asked, when will I start to die? Because he had thought that giving blood would be a lethal procedure, that he would be giving all of his blood to his sister so that she could live. And yet he was still willing to do it, whether the story is true or not, doesn't really matter. There's, there's, a, there's a truth in there. And that's in order to truly love your neighbor, you have to be willing to die in big and small ways. You have to be willing to die to yourself. You have to be willing to let your plans be disrupted. You have to be willing to give up your comfort and your time and your energy and your money. You have to be willing to stop asking, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? You have to be willing to look at every person, even your neighbor, even your enemies, to look at them as your neighbor. You have to be willing to remove all boundaries and all limits on your love for others. Loving our neighbor means being aware of the needs of the people around us and freely giving to them our time and our energy and our money to help them without expecting anything in return. 
you know, one of the hard parts of, of being a parent is uh, you, we're all hypocrites, right? You tell your children, hey, I want you to pick up your shoes. Uh, don't leave your shoes down here. Pick your shoes and put, take, them to your, take them to your room or whatever. And the kid says, well, your shoes are <laughs> laying right over there. And don't worry about my shoes, okay? You just worry about your shoes, all right? Uh, we're all, as parents, we're all hypocrites at times, okay? Uh, and so here's the thing about loving our neighbors like this. We're, we're going to fail. I'm going to fail at this. I'm, I'm up here preaching a sermon on this, and I'm going to be a hypocrite. I'm sure maybe before the day is out, I'll be a hypocrite on these matters. We are going to fail in loving our neighbors in this way. But the best part of the story is that Jesus is not a hypocrite. That Jesus practiced what he preached. That Jesus lived out love, even a, a limitless love. He lived that out even more than the Good Samaritan. That Jesus had compassion on us. That he saw us lying dead on the side of the road. And he stopped for us. And his love led him to action that he put on flesh. He took on the form of a servant. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross, not a cross that he deserved, on a cross that you and I deserved. That was our cross that he died on. He rose from the grave and he did all of that because he loves us. He went above and beyond what was required. He provided everything that was necessary for our salvation. You know, on the night before he died, Jesus was in a garden and he was praying that if there was any way that God could save his people without Jesus going to the cross, he prayed that that, that would happen, that the cup of, of God's wrath would pass from him. But he submitted himself to his father's will. And the next day he went to the cross and he gave up his comfort and he gave up his time and his energy and his very life to save us. And the Bible says he did this for us while we were still his enemies. He did it for sinners like us and he didn't view us as enemies, he viewed us as neighbors. And his love came to us when we were outsiders and his love brought us in and made us insiders with God. And he loved us when we were far off and he brought us near and he, and he made us the sons and daughters of God. And when you know Jesus, when, when you are united to Jesus, when you are captivated by his love, when, 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 when this, the, the, the beautiful truths of the gospel get down into us in, in a, at a DNA level, it changes us, doesn't it? It changes our hearts. It produces within us a love for God and a love for others, a changed life. The only way that you and I are going to love God and love other people in the way that this passage describes is if you know Jesus and he changes your heart. If his love for us comes into our lives and, and, and opens our hearts to others. And he enables us and teaches us how to love one another. Jesus invites us to receive his love this morning and each morning, and to let his love within us drive us to love God and to love our neighbors without limit and without boundary. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love of Jesus, which is uh, so good and so sweet.
and so powerful that it, it breaks down the walls around our hearts. It breaks down the barriers within us. We thank you for this parable, which uh, gives us a chance to examine our own hearts. It exposes us. Lord, I pray that this morning we would experience um, conviction that would lead us to repentance. That your kindness, O oh Lord, on display in the Lord Jesus would draw us to repentance. Lord, as we come to this table this morning also, we please ask that you would set aside these ordinary elements for a holy purpose, that, that we would taste and see that you are good, that we would be, we would be nourished as we continue, uh, as we commune with you, rather, as we receive your grace this morning. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.